Hi family, thanks so much for joining us this evening. Uh, we're going to talk tonight, I want to follow up on last week's message of why the church should stand with Israel. And thank you, I was just been overwhelmed that um, yesterday the staff was telling me we've had uh, 432 people as of yesterday morning watch that message yesterday. So I'm so glad that uh, you've listened. I hope it's been a blessing. If you've got questions, you can email us right here at Woodland or send us a text. Uh, or if you want prayer, you can uh, just email prayer at woodland.church. We'd be delighted to hear from you and delighted to pray with you. But I want to talk to you tonight about living deeply. So if you would, I want you to join me in prayer right now. Father, in the precious and the holy name of Jesus Christ, we love you with all of our hearts. We're so thankful that you are with us tonight. We ask your blessings upon us as we study your word together. Father, we also ask you to help us not just to study your word, to hear your word, but to do the word of the Lord together, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. I am not a video gamer. I, um, I tried when my sons were smaller and my daughter was smaller. They were always wanting me to play video games with them. But once we got those multiple screams up there, I got kind of nauseated. Now, my grandsons, they're great video gamers, and one of them in particular calls almost every day, Papa, I want you to play Minecraft with me. And it's the easiest thing in the world to do because what I do is I stand there, and he says, don't move, Papa, because when I move, I end up breaking something. He says, oh, no, Papa, you're breaking it. So he'll say, don't move, Papa. It's just the fact that we're there and we can talk. And then he, quote, teleports me to wherever he wants me to be. So... I just enjoy being with him during that game. But when our children, we were on our way to Oregon and my wife had prepared a little special treat each day for our children. We had bought a new customized van and we just thought we were so uptown and just nice. Do you remember those vans, you know, with the beds and the tables and all of that in it? And uh, our, we were headed out to Oregon and our kids got their first Game Boy. And they just would spend hours playing those games. And we were happy about it because it's a long drive from Georgia to Oregon. Well, I thought about that just recently as I was thinking about this message. And this is not a cut because I know there's some people that make their living doing this. I know there are grown men in this church my age. that This is your hobby. You enjoy doing it. But it used to be that games were for little boys and little girls, but today video games, that's a big adult business, you know? As a matter of fact, the biggest consumer of video games is not children. The biggest video consu uh, consumer of video games is young men up to about age 35 years old. They're really into these video games. And um, nothing, I don't have a, I don't have a, dog in that fight, I'll have a problem with that, you know, if that's what you like to do with your spare time. But I just got to thinking, boy, I don't want us to play games with our life in Christ. I don't want us to play games with our faith in Christ. As a youth pastor and working with young people for so many years, there was a song that we used to sing a lot of times during worship and then around the altars we would pray by a group named DeGarmo and Key. You don't hear much from them anymore, but you can look them up on Spotify or you can look them up on whatever music app you use. I use Apple Music. But these are the lyrics. I don't wanna be, I don't wanna be a casual Christian. I don't wanna live, I don't wanna live a lukewarm life. 
I want to light up the night with an everlasting light. I don't want to live the casual Christian life. This life is filled with strong distractions, which pulls from the left one from the right. I've already made up my mind, going to leave this world behind, going to live my life a living sacrifice. I've thought about that song a lot today. I posted something about it, and one of the students from Georgia actually sent a message and said, thanks for being an influence in my life. And we remembered singing that song. The book of First John is really talking to believers, and this is important. The book of First John is talking to believers that aren't first-generation believers. There's been, he's writing to the second or third generation of believers. They weren't there when Christ lived. They weren't there when Christ was crucified. It's probably been now about 50 years since Christ ascended back to heaven. And John's an old man and he's writing this gospel. And what he's challenging them to do is to live deep. He wants them to live deep. That's your first fill-in if you want to follow along with me tonight. He wants them to live deep. None of us want to be shallow people, do we? We do we? None of us want to be shallow people, right? We want to be people of depth. We want to be people of substance. We want to be people of integrity. And depth is good in our lives. You know, philosophers like to talk about deep conversations. Sometimes after I've had lunch with someone and we've had a theological conversation, they brought me a question about the Bible or something. I hear this phrase sometimes say, wow, this was really deep today. And what they're really saying is our conversation had substance. Our conversation had meaning. You know, and I know when some people say, well, I want to be deep. It just sounds spiritual. But, you know, we really don't know what we're talking about when we say that. Coaches want to have deep benches. I want a deep bench here at Woodland when it comes to volunteers. A quarterback will tell his receiver, he'll say, no, go deep. And he means he wants him to go out, take a risk, go, go downfield. This is not going to be a short little pass where I'm going to dump it off to you. I want you, we're going for this, you know. We've seen a hole. We're going to go there. We're going to fill it in. My wife's a gardener. She wants her plants to have deep roots and Last night, I went outside and I was helping her uh, pull some weeds out of her garden. She's recovering from COVID, doing a lot better. Thank you for praying for her. But her carrots, she grew in a um, raised bed, sitting on legs, so the critters couldn't get to it and eat her carrots this year. Well, she's grown a lot of carrots, but there wasn't room for them to go deep. So we've got these squatty little carrots that have grown, and they taste delicious, but they're not the long, typical carrots like you buy in the grocery store because there wasn't room for them to go deep. There wasn't room for them to grow. She wants her plants, the roots of those plants to have deep where they can pull up the nutrition and the water. You see, deep means, a, when we talk about living a deep Christian life, we're talking about a profound life. We're talking about a life of substance. We're talking about a life that is authentic. We're talking about a life that is enduring. We have eternal life since we've given our hearts to Jesus Christ. I don't want our church to be known as a church, as a shallow church. I want our church to be a church of depth. Someone called me today and they said, you know, I love Wednesday night services. We watch, I watch online and they live out of state and 
And I, I said, you do? You, said, you watch it? I said, we're online everywhere. We watch on Sundays, but we watch every Wednesday service. And I said, why? They said, because we like the fact that you can take the time to go deeper verse by verse in the scripture teaching. And so we don't want to be known as a shallow church. I've never seen the movie, um, but there was a movie out a few years ago called Shallow How. And that movie actually has a very bad name. The actors are embarrassed that they even made that movie. But the whole premise of the movie was about a man who lived a very shallow life, from what I understand. So look at with me tonight, if you would, at the word of the Lord. I want to read first from 1 John chapter 2 and verse 24. And as I read, I want you to circle when you see the word deep or deeply or depth. Stay with what you've heard from the beginning. Now, remember, he's talking to the second and third generation. So look at me. This is important. When you, when you read this, they didn't see, they didn't hear from Jesus, but they saw and heard as a result of somebody else telling them. So stay with what you heard from the beginning with the original message. Let it sink into your life. If what you heard from the beginning lives deeply in you, circle that word, you will live deeply in both the Son and the Father. Notice that. If the word lives deeply in you, you will live deeply in both the Son and the Father. This is exactly what Christ promised. Eternal life, real life, that's depth right there. I've written to warn you about those who are trying to deceive you. But they're no match for what is embedded deeply within you. Christ anointing, no less. You don't need any of their so-called teaching. Christ anointing teaches you the truth on everything you need to know about yourself and to him and uncontaminated by a single lie. Live deeply in what you were taught. Heavenly Father, I ask you in the next few minutes that, Lord, you will really help us to live lives of substance You'll help our roots to go down deep in Christ, as the Apostle Paul wrote in the Scripture. Father, I pray that we as individuals, we as families, we as a church family, Lord, there will be depth to our lives and therefore fruitfulness. For we too are a people, Lord, who didn't see you and we didn't touch you. But God, we can live deeply in you because of the truth of the message we've heard, which in Jesus' name I pray. Amen and amen. Let's look at another passage real quickly here. And this is from, if you'll just look on your outline and follow along with me. This is from the third chapter of 1 John. People conceived and brought into life by God don't make a practice of sin. Now, look at me. He's admitting that they're not sinless. He's admitting that sometimes Christians sin. I mean, it's in this book he will say, if we sin, you know, we have an advocate with the Father. So he says, people conceived and brought into the life of God, they don't make a practice of sin. They don't live a sinful life. When they do sin, they confess their sin. Then he asks this question, how could they? Have you ever asked that question about someone that has surprised you? How could they? Or have you ever asked yourself that question about yourself? When you've done something, you go, how could I? done something so foolish? How could I have done something so dumb? How could I have been so thoughtless? It's what the actors of that movie that I just referenced, and I want to say it again, I haven't seen it, but 
a lot of the actors are ashamed they made that movie. It was like, how could I? It's what shallow people do sometimes. So say, how could they? Because God's seed is deep within them. There's that word again. Circle it, if you would. Making them who they are. God's word is deep within us, making us who we are. It's not in the nature of the God begotten or the children of God to practice and parade sin. Here's how you tell the difference between God's children and the devil's children. The ones who won't practice righteous ways isn't from God, nor is the one who won't love brother or sister. A simple test. For this is the original message we heard. We should love each other. We must not be like Cain who joined the evil one and then killed his brother. And why did he kill him? Because he was deep in the practice of evil. Circle that phrase there. Deep in the practice of evil while the acts of his brother were righteous. So the question for you and me tonight is this. What are we deep into? Are we living shallow lives? Hopefully none of us are doing that. And hopefully we are deep into the word of the Lord. And I believe you are. You wouldn't be here tonight or you wouldn't be watching on line this evening. As I said earlier, John was writing to second generation believers or second gen believers, if you want to put that there. John is writing as the last of the living apostles. All the other apostles have died. He's an elderly man. This second generation had heard about Jesus from someone else who probably had seen Jesus or touched Jesus or from someone who had heard from someone who'd actually seen Jesus or touched Jesus or saw Jesus heal the sick or saw Jesus raise the dead. There were over 500 people that saw Jesus after the resurrection. And you think about the kings and you think about the, the, uh, the rulers of Israel and Rome, like Festus and Aquila. When you think about them, that they actually saw Herod, they actually saw Jesus and experienced Jesus' presence. There was no lack of witnesses for the life of Jesus. We have a Jewish historian by the name of Josephus. We have Pliny the Elder. We have Tactius. We have Sinonius, other Roman historians. They all knew about Jesus. But you also have this third generation who had heard from someone who had heard from someone who had either seen Jesus or heard about Jesus. And see, that's always the challenge of the church. I remember being in a meeting of leaders years and years ago. This was back in the 90s that I was asked to participate in because the concern was as we were looking at the history of our church is that every great revival movement, it tends about the third or fourth generation to lose its fire, to lose its impetus, and perhaps even become dead. And you can look that up on Google. There's just so much have been written about it since then. And we were talking about what are the reasons for that? And I think there are several reasons. I think sometimes questions begin to creep in. Did it really happen? Is it just like the Bible says? Even people here at our church sometimes bring me a book that they've just read about the Bible that questions the authenticity, the inspiration of the Word of God, the historicity of the Word of God. They'll bring it to me and say, Pastor, have you read this book? And so a lot of times we have a conversation and they'll go, Oh, Pastor, thank you. 
this was deep. In other words, the conversation had substance because I could give them the reasons behind the canon of Scripture and how we know and the confidence that we have. Let me just ask a question in you here. How many of you in your family, your first generation Christians, in other words, your parents or your grandparents were not Christians, you're the first generation of folks in your family that came to know Jesus. Can I see your hand? No one. How many of you are second generation that your parents or maybe your grandparents were Christians? Can I see your hands? Okay. How many of you are third generation Christians, your parents, your grandparents, maybe even your great grandparents, they were followers of Jesus Christ. I'm of that generation too. And so if we're not careful, we've heard what everybody else has told us. You see, the good thing about a second and third generation, like every one of you are either second or third generation, myself included, the good thing is we have a rich spiritual heritage. The Bible has been a part of my life since my earliest memories. My earliest memories are not at home. My earliest memories are in hospitals. And I can see my mother and my father praying by my bed. I can hear them reading scriptures. It's one of the reasons I love to do hospital visitation as much as I do is because all of my earliest memories involve pastors who came down and prayed with me. Our pastor who'd come down and pray with me and encourage me as a child. I can remember when they broke my hips because my legs were turned completely around backwards and they had removed some organs from my body and they turned them around. I was in a body cast and I can remember my pastor coming down and just praying with me, laying hands on my head and a little car that he and I would push back and forth across that body cast. I associated love with him. I associated prayer with him. I associated the Bible with him, but I also associated someone that liked me and was willing to have fun with me. It was a little blue plastic car. I remember that. So we have a rich spiritual heritage for us. And because of that, it gave me a head start on my journey of faith in Christ that a lot of my friends who came to know Jesus that were first generation Christians, they didn't have in their life. It saved me from a lot of grief as well that a lot of my friends who were first-generation Christians that maybe came to know the Lord after living a particularly difficult life. I can remember one time listening to some guys talk from Teen Challenge when I was just a teenage boy. My daddy took me to hear them, and we went to hear them, and when they got done, I remember thinking, wow, those are real Christians. And they were. I mean, they were dynamic. They were enthusiastic. And... Years later, I became friends with Nikki Cruz, and Nikki did a high school tour with me, and we had a great time together. If you don't know who Nikki Cruz is, that's the story of the cross and the switchblade. And, and I remember Nikki saying to a group of students one night, he said, the greatest testimony in this auditorium, we were in a big civic center, he said, the greatest testimony in this city auditorium is not someone like me who lived on the streets and did the things that I did. It's those of you that you were raised by your parents to know Christ and you gave your heart to Christ at an early age and you've always lived for him. That's the greatest testimony of all. And it really is. The downside, the downside is from what I've experienced and what I read here in the scripture is, if we're not careful, if we're not careful as second and third generation believers, we begin to take the gospel for granted. We begin to take the Bible for granted. 
because we gave our hearts to Jesus at an early age. And it's like you've heard me say before from the pulpit, I went from sandbox to sandbox looking for reality. But my father had a dramatic conversion experience by coming to know Jesus Christ. He hadn't lived a particularly wicked life, but he had this dramatic conversion experience. And I can't tell you how many times I said to Daddy, tell me about it again. I just wanted to hear again. I wish tonight I could hear him tell it again. I remember his first visit to this congregation. I asked him to come up to the pulpit and to pray over us and to just to share coming in. And that still stands out as one of those dramatic moments in my life as my father prayed a prayer of blessing over this congregation. So John is writing to people like that. John is writing to people, that this is important, they're people like you and they're people like me. Because no one in here said they were first generation tonight. That would be different if it was Sunday morning here at Woodland. John is writing to people like us. And he's saying to us, because there are some people, and let me just put it in plain Jane English, they're messing with the gospel. They're messing with the message. And they're trying to say that Jesus really wasn't a human being because flesh is evil. They're trying to change the gospel and they're questioning the divinity of Christ. They're questioning the humanity of Christ. They're trying to add rules to it as well. And so John is really upset, like I would be. Like I've had from time to time to just tell people, I say, listen, you can't teach that here. You can't talk about that here. I've had people at time to time get upset with me because they say, well, I'm not going to go to this church. For instance, not long after I became the pastor of the church, there were some people who left the church because, you know, I, I said, you can't be a member of the church unless you've been born again. Well, they had been members of the church for a long time. And I said, well, we've got to revisit that. One of the men said, well, I've never been born again. I've never given my heart to Jesus. And this is my church. And I said, well, I'm sorry. You're no longer a member. I said, if the board doesn't back me up on it, the church doesn't back me up, they can get a new pastor. But you're not a member of this church if you haven't been born again. Why would you want to be a member of this church and die and go to hell if you haven't already given your heart to Jesus and belong to the church of Christ eternal? And he looked at me and we're friends today. I mean, we had a real discussion. We had depth to that conversation. You know, we had substance to that conversation. And today we're friends. And occasionally I'll meet him at a Starbucks. And the fact of the matter is this. Jesus Christ, what John is saying in this gospel is Jesus Christ really lived. Jesus Christ really healed the sick. Jesus Christ really multiplied the fish and the loaves. Jesus Christ really raised the dead. Jesus Christ really opened the eyes of the blind. Jesus Christ really cast devils out of people. Jesus Christ really walked on the water. We saw him do it. We've touched him. And later you're going to read this in this chapter. He'll, he'll say we touched him. And maybe he's remembering. Remember the story in the Gospel of John. How he had his, his head laid on Jesus' chest or shoulder. He's going to remember that. He remembers hearing Jesus say. Blessed are the poor in the spirit. I and my father are one. He's had a first hand experience with Jesus Christ. In 2006, I'm at Oakwood Hospital. I've had a big surgery. 
And one of the men from our church comes to see me. And if you're watching tonight, you'll know exactly who I'm talking to. He comes to see me and he has one of the first iPhones that have ever been invented. I didn't know what an iPhone was. And I can remember I've got these tubes and he's showing me his iPhone. I mean, I'm really sick, but I'm all in. For years, I've had a Windows smartphone. As a matter of fact, Microsoft Windows contacted me and asked if I would use their phone for three months when they released their first Windows smartphone. And if I would write a review of it and my experience with it, they would give me the phone. I did. I got a free phone. And I, I was a Windows user. And he comes in and he shows me this phone and how remarkable it is. And then he does something really strange. He takes the phone, the glass of the phone, and begins beating it on the bed rail of my bed. He says, it's indestructible. Now, I know they're not indestructible because I've broken a few of them. But my point is, that was a first-hand experience of the iPhone. A lot of you could probably tell a similar story with that other phone or an iPhone <laughs> 1. But I still remember it because I've been such, and I'll admit it, a fanboy of, of Apple products since then. This same guy gave me my first Apple computer, and, and I, I won't ever forget it. Just everything changed. Well, let me get back to the sermon. What happens now is we have, and I, I am using an iPhone, whatever, so many generations later, okay? You know, there have been iPhone 2s and 3s and 4s and 6s, and I, I think we're up to like 14 now or whatever. They, you know, we just have all these generations of iPhones. That if you have the first iPhone, it's kind of slow and clunky. You might be something worthy for a museum piece. But here we are, and I just used the number 50, 2,000 years later. We're 50 generations removed from the ascension of Christ. Do you see where I'm going with this? He's writing to second and third generation Christians because somebody's messing with the message. Questions have begun to creep in because they haven't had this firsthand experience with Christ. Now, this is important. One of the things that Nikki Cruz told me, we were sitting having lunch together one day, and he said, you know, I will never forget that first experience with Jesus Christ. He said, I could lose everything I have and I could go back to living and sleeping on the streets of New York City as long as I have Jesus in my heart. That first generation experience. Let's look at the next verse. For the very first day we were there taking it all in. Now, you're going to see this. He's, he, he, he's driving this home. We heard it with our own ears. We saw it with our own eyes. We verified it with our own hands. Is he thinking about Thomas right there? The word of life appeared right before our eyes. We saw it happen. We saw Jesus, you know, he, after he rose from the dead. And now we're telling you in most sober prose that what we witnessed was incredibly this. The infinite life of God himself took shape before us. Look at this. We saw it. We heard it. And now we're telling you so you can experience it along with us this experience of communion with the father and his son jesus christ our motive for writing is simply this we want you to enjoy this too your joy will double our joy do you see what he's saying he says 
I'm writing to you second, third generation because somebody's messing with the gospel. Somebody's messing with truth. Maybe you have questions because you didn't see what we saw. You didn't hear what we hear. You didn't touch Jesus like we touched Jesus. But he makes a really, really powerful, deep, substantial claim. And that's your next fill in. He said, you can experience communion with the Father and the Son. In other words, you can experience this. To experience, wow. If tonight, later in our Q&A, I'll ask some of you to tell me a great experience in your life. I was listening to Ella Mance talking to me this week, and she was telling me about going up in a helicopter her first experience in a helicopter, her eyes got big and her hands were going out. She had an experience. And he's saying now, you and I, mm, I got to cough down a little bit. You and I can experience Christ, communion with Christ. I think just about everybody in this room I've either had a meal with or conversations of depth with. We've had ex communion together. Some of you I've been through some painful times with. Some of you I've been through some very joyful times with. We've had, we've had depth and substance. Look at the third verse of 1 John. We saw it. We heard it. And now we're telling you so you can experience it along with this experience of communion with the Father and His Son, Jesus Christ. Circle that phrase, saw it, heard it. Circle that phrase, so you can experience it. Experience what? Communion. This is, this is the perfect tense. This is not past tense. This is perfect tense. He's saying, what I saw, what I heard, look at me, what I experienced is still having impact on my life. It's still having an effect on my life. And he's saying in this perfect past, excuse me, in this perfect tense, he's saying you can have this same experience, even though you didn't see, even though you didn't hear, even though you didn't touch, you can still have the same experience. Do you get it? He's saying you can have the same. It's what my father talked about. It's what Nikki Cruz talked about. A lot of times, older members of our congregation, and Pastor Rick was notorious about this, they would talk, talk to me about, how about the old Tiger Stadium? What was it called? Tiger Stadium. Bricks. Bricks. There's the word I was looking for. Brick Stadium. Somebody gave me a patch of the Brick Stadium, and I have that patch. And, and I should mail it to Pastor Rick because it doesn't mean anything to me what it would meant to him. But there are people that say, oh, I saw Brick Stadium. But when Pastor Rick talked to you about Brick Stadium, he goes, I saw Brick Stadium. I sat in those seats. I was on that field. I, that field. And he would often talk about the new stadium compared to the old stadium. And how that even though the new stadium was better, it couldn't compare to the feeling of the old stadium. Some of you are nodding your heads in here. You know, I, the fact of the matter is, what he's saying is as a boy, Brick Stadium left a lasting effect upon his life because of his love for baseball. 
Would that you could all experience that with the University of Georgia and walking down between the hedges and clipping a piece of the hedges and, and, and just feeling what I felt and what I've experienced. I can smell it tonight. You see, we under, that's the perfect tense. He's saying we've experienced Jesus and so can you. So here's my question for you as we get ready to wrap up tonight. Is Jesus your life? Have you experienced Jesus? Are you experiencing Jesus tonight? I haven't had the privilege of John, neither have you. But to experience Christ and to experience Christ, communion with Christ, that's the privilege of all of us. <laughs> Last week I told Becky, I said, you gotta get well, honey. You gotta get well, you gotta get over this COVID. I said, our summer is two thirds of the way done. She goes, you could have gone all day without saying that. <laughs> I said, honey, soon the green color of summer will give away to the beautiful fall colors of autumn. And she goes, I don't want to talk to you. <laughs> you know, you can experience all that God has for you. I've witnessed his healing. I've experienced his healing. We've experienced the transformation of our lives by the gospel. We hear the still small voice of Christ through reading our Bibles, through prayer, through sermons like this, I hope tonight, through the witness of the Holy Spirit in our hearts. I felt him. Look at me. I have felt him lay his finger on a thought or a habit in my life and say, I want this to change. I felt that. You felt that. I felt him at times when I have been frightened or worried or anxious. I felt his arms of love wrapped around me. I know that sounds somewhat mystical, but Sunday morning I experienced it in worship. I kind of lose, I'm supposed to be paying attention to everything that's going on. You know, you, what's going on on the platform, Pastor Mark, if he needs me or Corey needs me. And, I'm supposed to be paying attention to everything, but every once in a while I forget and I want to worship with everybody else. And I felt the brush of the Holy Spirit just passing by me as I worship the Lord Sunday morning. You can experience Christ. And I want you to know that. I want, I want that man that I still have conversations with who got angry with me because I gave him the very words of Jesus, you must be born again. I said, until you're born again, you won't see the kingdom of heaven. Because my joy and your joy will double when other people know what we know. And I know that sounds selfish. That's your last feeling. Your joy will double my joy. Your joy will double my joy. Do you remember double mint gum? What was it? Double your, double your pleasure, double your fun. What he's saying is, and this is this this is what this is what Pastor John is saying. I wish you could quote scripture as easily as you quoted that double man gum thing to me. I've been waiting all day to do that. I was mean. I'm sorry. But here's what he's saying. He said, it's not enough for me to experience it. I want you to experience it. And I think that's the heart of God. Because God didn't need to save us to be happy. God didn't need to save us to be at peace. 
But God came into this world to save us and to rescue us from our sins. For the joy that was set before him, the book of Hebrews says, he endured the agonies of the cross. In 1 John 1, 4, our motive for writing this is simply this. We want you to enjoy this. Your joy will double our joy. My experience in God, it lacks if your joy doesn't double. My experience in God lacks if some of my lost friends don't come to know Jesus. Today, a friend of mine and I were talking and we're going to get together with our wives for dinner in September. And so I said to him, I said, and I said, where do you want to go and have dinner at? I said, let's, let's go somewhere you guys like to go. Becky and I are always looking for a new restaurant to conquer. And uh, so he tells me about this small little restaurant. And then he begins to tell me about how they prepare the food. And then he begins to tell me what he likes. And what his life likes is totally different and it's all homemade and it's all prepared and it's just this tiny little restaurant and I've seen it I don't know how many times, you know, so I've yet to experience it and we're gonna meet there. I was talking to Becky later and I says, he didn't realize he was just giving me an illustration because when I said, where do you wanna go? One place that you wanna, his joy and his wife's joy and delight in this restaurant, it all came out and they want to share it with us. You see, when it's shared, your joy increases. So I pray tonight that you and I will live lives of substance, we will live deeply, and we will remember the reason Cain did what he did was because he lived deep in evil. And the reason Jesus did what he did is because he lived deeply in obedience to the Father. And the way our joy is full is that we live deeply in Christ. Can you say amen? amen? Let's pray together. Father, we love you with all of our hearts and we thank you for this small little book of 1 John. I ask you that we never lose the fire of revival, but God, that our hearts will be passionate and full in you, which in Jesus' name I pray. Amen, amen, amen. Thank you so much for joining us tonight. I'm glad you were with us. We've had a lot of fun here together this evening. We're going to have a little Q&A session together right now, but I hope that you will come and join us some Wednesday night and be a part of what's happening here at Woodland Church. God bless you. Good night.